Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. We are launching a new series of teachings this weekend called Ghost Stories. Well, it is uh, Halloween weekend. Did, did anybody other than me grow up hearing the Holy Spirit being called the Holy Ghost? I tell you, that creeped me out when I was a little kid. But where did this Holy Ghost title come from? It came from right here. This thing is huge. This is a, a reproduction of an original King James Bible from 1611 AD. And, and let me just read a text for you out of that hefty, hernia-sized Holy Bible. In the King James, it reads, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be my Witnesses. Now that's 17th century language. Now I have a giant print because I'm blind. New Living Translation. Let me read for you uh, from this the same text. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, not Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. This is 21st century language. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. That's Acts 1.8. Now, my question is, if the power of God, if I can have the power of God come upon my life, come upon my finances, come upon the emotion, come upon my marriage, my parenting, I went into that action. But how does it happen? How do I experience it? Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, tells us that the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and when he does, we receive power. It's the power of God, supernatural power. But Acts Chapter 2, the best friend of Jesus, um, his name is Peter. Here's how he says we receive the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter said, each of you must repent, turn away from your sins, repent of your sins, turn to God. Notice that, that's God the Father, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's God the Son for the forgiveness of of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God the Spirit. Peter uses a wide-angle lens to show us the three persons of God. God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. He is God three in one. Everything you say about Jesus can be equally right being said about the Holy Spirit. Everything you say about Jesus is equally right being said of God the Father. They are God three in one. Now, our ghost story today on this Halloween weekend uh, does the same thing, brings into play for our awareness, our understanding, our experience. The three persons of God, God the Father, Creator, God the Son, Jesus, the Savior, and God the Holy Spirit, our helper. Um, so let me take you back. This is Halloween 2021. But I want to take you back to 
Easter. First Easter. So we're going to do Easter in October. But it's the first Easter. 33 A.D. And uh, we know the story. Uh, On Friday, uh, Jesus has been beaten brutally, beyond recognition. His beard has forcibly been pulled out by the roots. Uh, A club, they hit him, his head with a club again and again and again and again. A, A savage lashing with a vicious whip was visited upon his back. The, the, the blood loss was horrific. Crown of thorns pressed against his brow. And ultimately, um, Jesus is spiked with nine-inch nails through his wrists and his ankles to a blood-stained cross where he dangles helplessly for hours on end. And then a spear is shoved up under his ribcage and into his heart to prove, to verify, to authenticate that he is fully physically dead. Late Friday afternoon, on this horrific Friday, the limp, lifeless body of Jesus is removed from the cloth, hastily wrapped in a burial cloth and laid on a slab in a stone-sealed tomb. So Jesus is a corpse. No brain activity, no heartbeat, no life. I mean, through all of Friday evening and Friday night, all day Saturday and all Saturday night, Jesus is still a corpse. Into the wee hours of Sunday morning, Jesus is still a corpse. And then something absolutely mind-blowing, unprecedented happens. But but before I get to that miraculous, history-changing occurrence, uh, there's a couple things I have to point out. That when Jesus suffered the the ugly, unfair injustice uh, of the brutality visited upon him when he he died on the cross. Uh, He was not a victim. Crucifixion was his choosing. It was his decision. He and God the Father and the Holy Spirit agreed upon it before they even created the world. Jesus is not a victim. And even more, in his savage suffering. He's not a martyr. It's not like some example for us to follow. He's not a martyr. Now, Jesus is our Savior. Primarily, he's our substitute. On the cross, all the suffering that came upon him, that he experienced, he was taking our place. He was getting the punishment, the beating, the nails through hands and feet, the crucifixion. He was getting what we deserve for our sin. He was our substitute. He took our place. He, he got the penalty for our sin upon him. All God's anger, all God's wrath, all God's judgment and condemnation due us for our sin, it all fell on Jesus. He got death. So we, so we can get super abundant life right now and eternal life 
with God in heaven. I mean, heaven is where you get to do what you love best with those you love most, all in the presence and glory of Jesus. Um, so I wanted you to know that about his suffering. And um, let me ask you this. Have you ever lost someone you love dearly? Maybe you were like me and you, you were there in the last moments of their suffering. Maybe like me, you were there when they died, when they passed from this life. And maybe like me, you, you were this balled up mixture of being sad and being angry and being in a, a, a out of control panic. Maybe you thought, man, this is not fair. They don't deserve this. And that helps us understand what the followers of Jesus felt about the death of their Lord. Let me take you to that very first Easter morning when, when Mary, uh, it's dark. It's still way, way before the sun comes up, but she cannot stay away from the tomb of Jesus a moment longer. Probably hasn't got a wink of sleep. And so she's stumbling and staggering in the dark, not from the darkness, not because she can't see well, but from her overwhelming grief. No, you got to remember that Mary Magdalene was the Mary who had been possessed by seven demons all at the same time. I mean, she had given herself so fully over to evil that every thought was evil. Every emotion was dark, all behavior um, ungodly until she met Jesus who flooded her heart with the light of his love. He cast out the, the demonic. He cast out uh, the, the darkness. He gave her freedom to feel joy and peace and hope and love. He gave her the freedom to keep her thoughts set on things above. He gave her the freedom to behave love, to behave patience, to behave joy. But now he's I mean, Mary loved Jesus. She loved, Mary Magdalene loved Jesus more than she loved life itself. She wished it had been her. And, and showing this first Easter morning in the dark, she's stumbling toward the tomb, looking for a corpse, looking for a dead Jesus. Nothing else is even on her radar. Here's how the Word of God tells it. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, I mean, just uncontrollably, she stooped and looked in. Oh, my gosh. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot at the place where the body of Jesus had been lying uh, dear woman, why are you crying, the angels ask? Uh, because they have taken away, obviously, the body of my Lord. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Well, she then turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. He says, dear, dear woman, why are you crying? And then Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus called her. 
And she turned to him and cried out. Can you imagine crying out, thinking that he was gone and gone forever, never coming back? Nope. She cries out, teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said. Now, what's up with that? I mean, on, at worst, it seems rude for Jesus to say, hey, hands off. You're going to wrinkle my robe. Um, obviously, Mary is so delighted by the sight of a living, victorious resurrection. Jesus, she just throws her arms around him and grabs him tightly in a fierce, warm, passionate embrace. It's like she's saying, I, once, I lost you once. I'm never letting go of you again. So, at best, Jesus responding to her big old huge hug by saying, hey, don't cling to me, seems a bit rude. But even in best case scenario, it seems odd because that same day on that first Easter, Jesus invited people to touch him. He welcomed their touches. Uh, I mean, for a week and probably beyond that, he would say to people, here, touch where the nails went in. Hey, reach your hand in and see where the spear was shoved up into my heart. So what's going on here? Why does he say to Mary, don't cling to me? Um, I think our answer is found in what Jesus says next. Jesus said, I'm ascending to my father and your father. Ascending means he's going back uh, to heaven, uh, to my God and to your God. Now, maybe this doesn't create an aha moment in your mind. But for Mary, man, something clicked in her heart because this is Sunday. This is Sunday morning. Uh, just a few days earlier on Thursday evening, Jesus had taught his disciples that he was going away, but it was the best thing possible for them. Look at the text. Jesus said, I'm going away to the one who sent me. I'm going back to my father, God. I'm the son going back to my father, the one who sent me. And it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, I will send him to you. Now, this is a bit befuddling. How could it be better for them and for us? I mean, you know, sometimes newspapers, magazines, sometimes maybe you see it on Facebook. Uh, who would be the three great figures that you would most like to sit down and have a dinner with? And people also say, Jesus, I, I love to have a conversation with him. So how can Jesus say, even to us, hey, it's best for you if I'm not with you, if I go back to my father, because then I can do what's best for you and send the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit is God actually within us. We have a spirit. God, the Bible says God is spirit. And our spirit can merge with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can 
fill us. The Holy Spirit can live within us. We can give the Holy Spirit full residence within us. And so Jesus is telling his followers then and us now, and Mary gets it. Now he's going back to the Father. I'm glad he's with me, but I want him within me. I want him in my thoughts. I want him in my emotions. I want him working out it through me. Love in my marriage. Wisdom for my finances. Uh, wisdom for my parenting. Love in all my relationships. I want him in me. Let me show you this. The Greek word Jesus uses for advocate is paraclete. It was a military term in that day. Um, a Roman soldier would never go into battle without a paraclete. A paraclete was like a battle buddy. If I'm a Roman soldier and I'm fighting this way, defending myself, attacking my paraclete, my battle buddy, he's back here. He's got my back. He's doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. He, he's fighting in the battle in a way that would save me. He's fighting that way while I'm fighting this way. I don't have to be afraid of anything because the paraclete has my back. Now, Jesus is basically saying, this is the best thing for you. The Holy Spirit, your paraclete is coming because life is a battle. Marriage is a battle. You can be in emotional battles, financial battles, and parenting battles, and battles at work, and battles in your mind. Jesus said, I'm sending one who's going to be in you and battle for you. He's going to give you victory. This is, I mean, this is God in you, so he's going to give you victory in every area of life. Let me show you. The Holy Spirit comes to help make our lives victorious. I believe when we yield to him and when we are filled with him, he makes our marriage victorious. He, he gives victory to our parenting. He can make our finances victorious. The Holy Spirit leads us into God's word to show us God's strategy for winning at life. He makes all of our relationships victorious. He gives us victory over our emotions. He gives us victory over our thinking. The Holy Spirit comes as our paraclete and fights for us, giving us victory. Let me show you this. This is what you've got. If you, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and God raised him from the dead, if you've been immersed, buried with Christ in his death, raised up by the supernatural power of God to do life in a new way, here's the new way. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, uh, the advocate, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Power for your relationships. Power for the struggles of life. Power for the future. You don't know what's coming. You, it, it's all uncertain, but you have within you power. So we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to know the Holy Spirit. We want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this. Any power you need is yours with the Holy Spirit in you. So you invite him. Probably for the last year and a half, every day, I invite the Holy Spirit into my life. I pray, Holy Spirit, please join me 
in this moment. I may be in my truck. I may be in the shower. I may be getting out of bed. I may be at church before I preach. Holy Spirit, please join me in this moment. Holy Spirit, please fill me. Holy Spirit, please use me. Holy Spirit, please help me. Holy Spirit, please comfort me. Holy Spirit, please guide me. Any power, any strength you need, you have when you have the Holy Spirit within you. You see, His mighty power is at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. This is what the Apostle Paul taught the church in Ephesus, that there's a power at work within us that can accomplish more than we can ask for or, or even dream. And maybe you want to know, how does this play out? Um, how, how does a Holy Spirit come alongside me with strength and comfort and wisdom and love in my, every, in my everyday life? I mean, one, part of it is me and part of it is you in that, if what we are asking for is to win the lottery, then the Holy Spirit is not going to be engaged in that at all. If that's where your dreams are and your hopes are. But when you open God's word and you claim his promises, the Holy Spirit joins you and does more than you would dream about the promises of God for your life. Let me show you. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's dream for our lives. Now, how does this work? Monday, I was in Janesville having coffee with a friend of mine. And as a part of our conversation, he told me that he and his wife heard my message last weekend about our effort to help children in need. The kids don't have, there are kids in our backyard who don't have winter gear. They don't have warm coats. They don't have gloves. They don't have hats. And so we're going to get hats and gloves and, and uh, coats for these children. <laughs> and that gentleman's wife, he said, she heard it on Sunday morning. By Sunday afternoon, she was out buying coats for kids. She was just following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It was God's dream that she do something kind, that she live out his word, that, that she be Jesus to a child. And then on Wednesday uh, of this week, I talked to a lady uh, who had heard me say, hey, there's a bunch of homeless people in our area and we're going to help them. Winter is coming and they need sleeping bags and they, they need socks and gloves and we're going to get backpacks and fill them up with hygiene items and socks and gloves and uh, attach sleeping bags to them so they can keep warm. And she said, I I've already... Bought the backpack, should I, should I just go ahead and stuff it full of the socks and the gloves and the hygiene items and put the, the sleeping bag and just bring it to church that way? I said, yeah, but the point is, th this is an everyday kind of woman living out God's dream for her life. That God moved her and she followed the move of God to reach out to the homeless. She was doing the best she could with what she had to make a difference for people in need. That's what the Holy that's how it works out in daily life. Every day this week in our office, we have received in the mail checks, offerings. People sat down this week and they wrote out financial offerings to the Lord to help Central Christian Church. And those people, all of them were being guided by the Holy Spirit. 
They were being moved by the Holy Spirit. It was God's dream that he be able to use them to make a difference for his church, the bride of Christ. It's just one. I could go on and on and on. That's just from this past week of what I saw and people I talked to. God bringing about his best dream for their lives. But the Holy Spirit does more. It's not just about what you give or how you provide or how gracious or hospitable you are. It's about you becoming God's best version of you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit guides us into God's best version of us. In fact, the Bible is very clear about what that looks like. God's best version of me, God's best version of you. Here's what it looks like. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. He's going to give you a love as your paraclete, as your helper. You can never achieve on your own. He's going to give you a joy that comes only from God. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He is going to make you God's best version of you. And so what is significant is learning to pray to the Holy Spirit. We, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, everything you can say about God the Father, you can say about the Holy Spirit. When we pray, close our prayers in Jesus' name, by His authority. Everything you say about Jesus, you can say about the Holy Spirit. They all share all those God attributes together. God is creator. He made us. Jesus is savior. He died for our sins and rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit to be our paraclete, our helper, our advocate, our friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.